The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts. Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. How's it going, everybody? Today, we have Jim Pfeiffer, who's one of the founders of Left Field Investors, which is a group dedicated to educating and assisting like-minded investors to negotiate the nuances of the passive investing landscape in the world of syndications. Jim is a former financial advisor who became frustrated with the one-path-fits-all approach to standard financial services. So, Jim, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. I, um, you know, like, like you said, I'm a former financial advisor, but this is, uh, this is career Number four for me, I started out in business uh, working for a reinsurance company and uh, did that for about 12 years. And then I was a financial services teacher in Columbus, Ohio for a while. And uh, then, then I found financial advising, which um, it's, it's funny, the same time I, I became a financial advisor, it, it's how I got into my first property. And that's what kind of I was investing in real estate and learning how to become a financial advisor at the same time. And as I was learning more about finance, I'd always been a stock market guy, mutual funds. You know, even when I was in college, I was an investor and I always thought the market was the place to be. And it's funny because when I became a financial advisor, I got a lot of education and training in how money works. And I was learning about how money works at the same time I was seeing how money works as a real estate investor. And slowly but surely, the light bulb started going off and, and showed me that, uh, you know, the stock market, mutual funds, all of that is more speculation and less investing because you don't get a current benefit from you know investing in a mutual fund or a stock. There might be a small dividend, but often there isn't. Where if you're investing, like in real estate, you get a current benefit through cash distributions and you get appreciation. The stock market speculation because all you're doing is buying something, a piece of paper, holding it and hoping later you can sell it to somebody for more. Right? Real estate, you can change the asset you can do something to the asset so it produces more income for you and you also get the appreciation on the back end so once i figured all that out um, i realized i could no longer be a financial advisor because i wasn't i always prided myself in recommending to my clients the same things i was investing in and as time went by more and more of my money was being invested in real estate and less and less in the uh, paper assets that a typical financial advisor does i also couldn't recommend real estate to my clients because one, I'm not licensed for it. And two, I don't get paid for it. And uh, that's why most financial advisors ignore the real estate holdings of their clients because they're not licensed and they don't know anything about it and they can't make money from it. So eventually I decided to uh, move on from being a financial advisor and I went full-time passive investing. I sold all of my active real estate, which at that time was, you know, I had uh, 22 unit multifamily, I had an eight unit, a four unit, a bunch of single family homes. Um, I ended up selling all of it and transferring all of that capital into passive syndications. The reason being, I was not a very good asset manager. So I, I bought those properties. They didn't cash flow like they were supposed to, like I thought they would. 
Um, I was saved by the market. The market has gone up crazy in the last 10 years. So all of my investments pretty much paid out on the appreciation end, but not on the cash flow end. And so now when I invest in syndications, I'm effectively hiring an asset manager to manage the asset for me. And they do, they're professional. That's what they do for a living. And so they do that much better than me when I was trying to actively slash passively manage my active assets. So I learned that I'm better at being completely passive. And so one thing that I recommend to people is you got to figure out what you want and what you're good at. And that's a process. You know, it took me 30 years of uh, work life before I finally feel like, okay, this is, this is what I was meant to do. And that's investing in passive real estate and also educating and helping others do that as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And I definitely agree with what you said and I'm happy to have figured that out a little, a little earlier. Um, but yeah, definitely feels good to educate and get the word out. So I um, appreciate that. Uh, so let's take it back a little bit. Could, and you touched on it a little, but could you tell us about your first milestone in real estate? Yeah, well, the first milestone really in real estate was the first rental property. Uh, that, that was the thing that really got me going. And it was 2008 and my, uh, my son was born and we needed more space in our house. So um, we decided to, to build a house. So we built a house and we had our, and by the time we were, came ready to move and sell our old house, the market had crashed. There, you, we couldn't sell it for the price that we wanted. So uh, we held on to it and turned it into a rental. And I hated it. I did not like being a property manager because I just rented it to a, to a guy who worked at the Honda plant near here. And they were meticulous about taking care of the house. They did a great job, but also... I'd get a phone call, you know, at Christmas Eve that their bathtub was broken or something. I don't know how to fix anything. So it was always just a nightmare trying to do it. So I, I hated it. So, but we held it for five years because we couldn't sell it. And we had probably the best tenant you could ever have. And I still didn't like it. Um, and so when I got ready to sell, I went to my, um, my realtor and I said, I'd like to sell the house. And he's like, we well, have a tenant in there. How about you let me manage it? And at that point we had paid off the house. So I decided, you know what, I'm learning some stuff for financial advising and the equity in your home always returns nothing, right? It doesn't matter how high the value of the property goes up, you'll get that whether you have zero equity or 100% of the value in equity. So there's no return on the equity in your home. And I figured that out. So I thought, okay, I'll refinance this house and take all the cash out of it. And that enabled us to buy two more properties. So we turned one a cash flowing asset into three cash flowing assets by doing a finance. And also I turned it over to the only prop, probably the only good property manager I've ever had. Um, I never got any calls. He did everything. All I got was checks in the mail every month. So that was great. I got the bug and that got me going on. Once I figured out I could make money on one unit, I thought, well, now I need to get into multifamily. And so that's a whole nother story. But yeah, the first one was that uh, the house we used to live in, I was, I was an accidental landlord. And I hated it, but that was my entry into real estate. Awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. And I'm glad it worked out. Um, it's funny how the, the situation dictates some of what goes on, but that's, uh, that's awesome. So what would you say to a professional or someone who has a pretty uh, modest or, or good income, but um, and knows that they should be in investing in some real estate, but um, either they're comfortable stocks or that's all they know, or you know, they don't even know how to go out into the world and, and find real estate. Like, what would you say generally to, to that? Um, you know, I think it's a common perspective. It is. And that, that's part of what, you know, we're trying to do at Left Field Investors is show people that there are ways to invest that doesn't involve the stock market. And actually, 
you will probably earn more money, you'll pay less taxes, and you'll, your wealth will grow much faster if you're in real estate. So what I tell them is look into passive real estate investing and syndications. You can go to our website and there's a ton of free information, listen to podcasts. But you know, part of the thing is, if you think about it, if you're making a pretty good income, it's likely that you're contributing to your 401k, right? And so maybe you're putting in $2,000 a month into your 401k. Well, over the year, that's that's $24,000. So each paycheck, you're only taking small chunks out. But in the end, you're investing $24,000 into the stock market or mutual funds or whatever every year. And the minimum investment for real estate in a syndication is typically around twenty-five dollars to $50,000. So it's a lot of people look at those minimums and they think, oh my gosh, there's no way I'm going to put $25,000 into one thing. But you're already doing it. And it's one thing that you have no control over. And my, you know, the reason why I, I really am not a fan of the market anymore is think about a company like Apple, right? They might have the best year they've ever had. They, their results are through the roof. They just do great. But if it's in the a, a part like now, when the stock market is tanking, Apple's going down. Even if they have a great year, their stock price is going to go down and your investment is not going to perform. So when people start looking at it that way, and you think, okay, what happens in real estate? Because real estate is probably going to have some struggles coming up too. Well, the price isn't going to tank 30% in one day. And even if it does, that's the price of the asset. I don't care. I don't care what the price of the asset is because I'm not selling it yet. right? But what's not going to change quickly is the cash flow I'm receiving from that asset. Because if it's a multifamily building, rents aren't going to plummet 30% just because the stock market dropped. Right? So my cash flow is not going to change. It might not increase as much, but it's probably not going to go down. So I would recommend people look in, you have to do research, right? You have to do some due diligence because you can't walk out your front door and look at your neighbor and say, hey, what kind of syndications are you investing in? They'll think you're nuts. They won't know what you're talking about. You could do that with, with a mutual fund or stocks. Hey, how are you investing your 401k? Yeah, everyone can talk about that. So what we're dealing with, and you mentioned this when we were talking before we started, was we're going against all the banks and all the advertising and all of that for this small little niche that's really only been accessible to people like you and me for the last 10 years, so nobody knows about it. So it takes podcasts like yours and groups like mine that are going to spread the word. Um, and the other thing I would say is when you're looking at the minimums, there's ways to get around the minimums. There's a company called TribeVest, and they do, they, they, it's a platform to help you group invest, right? And so especially for younger people, right out of college who have nice careers, but they're, maybe they're not making enough money to be able to invest $25,000. It's, it's, it's a big amount. So find five friends. Find 10 friends. Now, if you have 10 friends, you only need to invest $2,500 each to get into one of these deals. And now you're learning. Now you're exposed to this universe. So I would recommend the young people especially get a group of friends together who just got jobs, just got out of college maybe, and see if you can put a tribe together, do some group investing. And you're not, you don't really have to make a ton of money. You're just learning, but that learning will pay off for the rest of your life. Yeah, I, I love that. And when I heard about TribeVest, I uh, went into my text group chat and was like, guys, like got to do something. And so, yeah, I mean, that's really awesome. And the, just the, I guess the um, entrepreneurs and the people creating new solutions are, it's going to keep coming and it's going to keep getting more exciting. So I'm excited. Um, looking forward to what, what comes out of the, the next few years. Um, so with regards to passive investing, there's 
I mean, sometimes with a lot of these syndications, there's a, a limited hold period, like it's going to be five to seven years out into the future. Um, and I know that I, like it seems pretty intuitive how to start in terms of like finding a, a investor or like a, a sponsor that you know, like and trust, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit about. But um, in terms of how to get started on the on the front end, like what would you recommend to someone just starting out in terms of how to set up oh, oh, like a, a plan for, you know, where we're going to put this money, where it's going to come from? How are we going to actually do this in terms of the practicalities of investing in syndication? Because it's not as simple as just 401k, forget about it, you know? No, you're right about that. It's a, it's a, it is not as simple as that. And you have to educate yourself a little bit. And that's that's the challenge right now. They're, they're, they're changing everything with the, the 401ks. Now they're, they're passing laws where they're going to, um, you have to opt out, right? They're automatically, as soon as you start a job, they're going to start taking money out and put it in your 401k. So you really need to break out of that ecosystem. Not to say 401ks are bad, but that's not the only option. So um, the, the first thing I would do is, buy or read the book, The Hands-Off Investor by Brian Burke. It is the best beginner and even expert book out there on, on how to start in syndications. It, it helps you learn how to analyze a deal and vet a sponsor. And the most important part of that is going to be vetting a sponsor, right? Because you mentioned it, you need to know, like, and trust the sponsor. Well, how do, how do you do that? Right. So the first, the way I did it when I was first starting out, and this is, I've improved on this, but the way I did it was listen to podcasts or I'd read a book and then I would call up a sponsor and I'd have a three minute conversation with the sponsor and they'd send me a deal and I'd look at the deal and then maybe I'd ask them some questions. So maybe I'd have another half hour conversation. So I've talked to them for an hour. I've spent some time analyzing their deal. And now I have to decide if I'm going to wire them 25 or $50,000. That's terrifying, right? Because I don't know these people. They might be a great podcaster, but now I don't invest in a deal with a new sponsor unless they were referred to me by someone in my community who I know, like, and trust who's already invested with them. Now, they don't have to go full cycle on the deal, but they've already invested in, and they've been in it for a while. And what that does is I'm still going to do all the same due diligence on that sponsor, but I'm starting from a place of trust, right? Because trust transfers. So because someone else trusted that sponsor, I can at least start with, okay, they're probably legit, right? That's number one. Number two, if someone's recommending them, they probably did at least an okay job. And that has changed everything because now you're a hundred steps ahead of where you were before. As I said, you do the same due diligence, but the sponsor is key. You still have to analyze the deal. You still have to make sure it's a good deal. But if you're investing with a bad sponsor, they can turn a good deal horrible. Right. And a good sponsor is going to do great on a good deal and probably okay on a bad deal. Right. So sponsor is the most critical first step. Yeah, that's uh super important. And um definitely I'm thinking like in this world of syndication, these sponsors' reputations mean more than anything else. And really to know that there's someone who intends to be here for 40 years or intends to be here for the long term, like they're top priority will be not losing your money because if they lose their money, no one else is going to ever invest with them. Cause you know, you go, Hey Ben, how's this guy? Oh, he lost my money. Like no one ever is going to go back to this person. But so, so, you know, even if something bad happens, their, their top priority is to return your capital, hopefully with a profit. But um, yeah, I mean, that's just one thing in terms of alignment of interests. Like they have the same goal in mind. Like, you know, they don't want to lose your money because that would ruin them. And you know, you don't yeah. want to lose your own money. So that's, that's, you can't be better than that. 
Absolutely. And you know, that, that's another thing to, to look for is sponsors that invest in their own deals as limited partners, right? Um, I won't invest with somebody if they're not, if they're not putting their own money into their own deal. Because if you're not putting your own money in, what, what, what are you doing, right? How, how is that uh, believable that you think this is going to be a great deal? And I've had, you know, I've had some deals go, go south with some sponsors that I didn't vet the proper way and I didn't know as well. And those deals were super frustrating. And, you know, I, some, I lost money and it was just a really bad experience, but I also had a deal that just went south and went bad with a sponsor that I really like. And what did they do? They immediately called and said, look, this deal went south. It wasn't anything that we could have foreseen or, or anything like that. Um, but they said, we're going to make you whole. If we can't sell this asset and get you out for a gain, we're going to come out of our own pocket to make sure you guys don't lose money. And the reason they did that is the exact reason you just said, right? If I lose money, I'm not investing there again, and neither is anybody else. So they decided they were going to make sure that wouldn't happen. And that's the kind of sponsor you want to be with, right? Because unforeseen things can happen. And if a deal goes bad, as long as someone is talking, explaining it, and walking through what happens next, I'll be disappointed, but it won't be the end of the world, right? But if, if I'm going to lose money and you're not going to talk to me or I can't get in touch with you, then I'm done forever. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, you definitely started going, uh, hinting on it, but like, what would you say is like the number one or like the top few qualities you want to see in a sponsor? Um, well, obviously you want trust and reliability, but the things I, I look for, um, track record, I would love to have somebody who's been doing this since before 2008. Right. And those are few and far between syndication wasn't as big back then. And, and, um, you know, it wasn't as accessible, so that's hard. So a track record, business experience for sure. Um, I'd love to see a few exits, but that's not always the case. And one of the things that sounds unimportant, but really for me is, is the easiest way to get me to go somewhere else is communication. Because if you're, if I'm, if you're not going to communicate with me in a timely fashion before I send you a wire for $50,000, what are you going to do after I send it? you're definitely not going to communicate to me. And the times when I've been most frustrated are when I don't get my emails or phone calls or texts answered. So if like I, I, this actually happened, someone, I was going to invest in their deal and I sent a couple emails and made a few phone calls and they didn't get back to me within a week. And um, then they got back. Oh, sorry. I, you know, missed it or something I'm like that. That's fine. But I'm, I'm no longer interested because if, if it's not important enough for you to have systems in place that, that I don't fall through the cracks, then there's plenty of other people out there. There's plenty of sponsors. And in fact, this particular deal had two different capital raisers raising money for it. So I still invested with, in the deal. I just didn't go through them because of their communication. And so it sounds like a small thing. Oh, they didn't return your email within 24 hours. Yeah, they didn't. And so I don't have any confidence in them unless there's a valid reason. You know, So I'm pretty much... I, I do little tests on the sponsors. I, even if I don't have any questions, I'll send them an email and ask them something just to see, are you going to get back to me? Because the times where I've been most frustrated and the deals have gone the worst are those when the sponsor does not communicate. So that really is probably my number one thing is, is communication. If you don't communicate, I'm out. There's plenty of other fish in the sea. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I guess it's like you kind of just want peace of mind. And, you know, if you're, you're worried, you're not going to get the answers, whether, you know, it's not even necessarily if it's good answers or bad answers, but you just want to know that you're, yeah, yeah you're, I mean, you're cared for and that they're, yeah, they're, they're hearing you. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, and also, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but also look at the, um, you know, think about your own email, right? When you, when there's an important email, when someone important sends you an email, 
Do you sit on it for 48 hours or do you respond as soon as you can? You respond as soon as you can. And which ones do you wait 48 hours? The ones that aren't important to you, that you don't care if you're not responding in an appropriate time, right? So if you're treating me as the person that you don't care about because you're dragging on responding to me, then I'm moving on. And so that, that's why it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's even, yeah, that's a great point. Especially it's like, if someone who's trying to wire you $50,000 is not important, like what are your priorities? You know, right. like what are, so that's, that's a really interesting point. I, I like that. Um, so we've touched a lot about on the, um, on the sponsor kind of during the sponsor side and how that's obviously probably the most important thing to think about when you're looking to a deal. But I'm sure a lot of people are scared that they don't know how to underwrite a deal. They don't know how to look at the financial side. And um, I know left field has some, some resources for that, but um, I mean, what do you advise for someone who might be, you know, not taking the, the step into syndication because they don't have the financial background? Yeah. I would say first read that book, right? That's that book goes through like, all the metrics you need, the hands-off investor. It'll tell you um, what, what things you should be looking for. And, and that's awesome. And so what we did at Leftfield Investors, we have a, a membership group called the Infield, and we have a, a tool called the Deal Analyzer. And um, we have it best for multifamily, and we're working on self-storage and mobile home uh, deals. But basically, what that does is you can take the financials from the pitch deck that the sponsor sends you, and you put them in this Excel spreadsheet, and the cells will turn red or green based on whether those uh, metrics fit our parameters that we've set. And if it's red, it doesn't mean don't invest. It means ask questions. But that's how I analyze deals. And so the first thing is, we talked about, you find the sponsor, get confident with them, and then you know or hope that they're probably going to send you an okay deal because you've already vetted the sponsor. Then you look at the deal and you dive into a few of those financials. And there's really just a few things that you can focus on. You don't have to look at all of it, but you're just looking for red flags. And then with those red flags, you send an email or call the sponsor and say, hey, I got some questions about these things. And you can do that even if you don't intend on investing, right? So what I would do if I was a new investor, I would find five different sponsors and have them send me deals. And I would analyze every one of them. I'd go through the process asking them questions. After you analyze 10 deals, ask the questions of those sponsors and you look at all the data you have you're going to be able to tell if a deal is an okay deal or not, because you're going to start developing expertise. You're going to find, oh, look, on every one of these, the taxes in the pro forma are much higher than the current taxes. Why is that? Because the counties typically reevaluate taxes based on the price for the property, right? So now if I see a deal and the taxes are the same in year one as they are on, on the current, I'm like, hold on a second. Is the county not going to reevaluate your tax base? So the, and you'll find that out, right? That's how you learn. And after you do a few of those deals, then you'll feel comfortable and you'll know how to underwrite a deal. And for me, I don't want to underwrite a deal like a sponsor does. I don't want to go down deep and they do that, right? That's, I'm, that's what I'm paying them for. What I want to do is take what they've given me and I'm just checking to make sure everything seems logical and in place and makes sense, right? Because the only thing I know about the pro forma for sure is that none of it's right. Right. Now, which way is it wrong? I don't know, but it's not correct. You're never going to have a deal come out to pro forma. It's going to be better or worse. So that's the only thing I know. So what I'm trying to do is say, did they use appropriate assumptions? That's what I'm looking for. Right. Yeah. It definitely matters how you came to this knowledge versus 
yeah, I mean, so- anything could sound plausible and you put anything onto an Excel model, but um, definitely important to see how you came up with this. And then like, yeah, I guess that's kind of understanding the sponsor because now you understand their, maybe their intelligence, maybe their logical reasoning, or maybe just their experiential knowledge. So that's, uh, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, so I think that we talked about this a little bit before, but I thought of this interesting question that um, a lot of or people might be or may wonder why haven't we heard of this and why is it not common to see sponsors from before 2008? Um, you know, what changed in the, I guess, in the political ecosystem to allow the, the rise of this, this new investment? And then, you know, what do you, how, what do you see it becoming in the future? Yeah. So I guess, the investing in apartments, that's what most people, that's where most people start, right? For syndications. So there's been apartment investors forever, right? Because there's been apartments forever and mobile home parks and self-storage. The difference now is, and I think it was 2012, they had the Jobs Act and that changed the rules for syndications to allow them to advertise. So before you really had to be in the know one, you had to be super wealthy. So it was all the institutional clients and, and all that. So it wasn't available to the regular person. In 2012, they changed the rules so that you could advertise and they changed some of the income requirements so more people could get into it. So that's why these a lot of the syndicators that have popped up have, have come because now it's easier to do. And it's and it's, the SEC has made it um, legal to, to advertise. But also... Since then, we've been in this market that's just gone up, 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 right? So it'll be interesting when that market changes, which it might be doing. We're going to see a lot of people who we thought were good sponsors or good syndicators um, who maybe weren't as good as they thought, like me, right? I wasn't a syndicator, but I owned assets and I, I did not do a very good job at it, but I still made money because the market saved me, right? So how many people are like that? But going forward, I think there's going to be incremental changes. Like, the accredited investor, right? You have to be, to be accredited, you have to have a million dollars in assets outside of your home or $200,000 in income if you're single and 300,000 if you're married, right? To be accredited. Now there's, there's deals that you don't have to be accredited for, but that definition of accredited is changing. Now, if you have, a, if you have certain financial advisor licenses or pass the test, you can be accredited. Now they're also talking about changing the income requirements. So I think this is going to be, these investments are just going to open up and be available to more people. Because for me, if you have a million dollars, that doesn't mean you're any better investor than anybody else, right? It, it might mean you can afford to lose more and you won't be sunk, but it doesn't mean you, you're a smarter investor. So I think that what's going to change is they're going to allow a lot more people to be accredited in a lot more ways than just on income or assets. Yeah. And I think that's good, especially with regards to the the wealth distribution, right? If uh, only very wealthy people who have a specific circumstance are able to be in the places and in the investments that will get you to growing your wealth, that that could be, a, you know, adding to a disparity. But if we allow access to more people to get access to, I guess you could say better investments um, or just more diversity of investments, that could be beneficial for everyone's wealth creation. So um, yeah, definitely absolutely. think that- yeah, it'd be awesome to shift there. And I guess the, the question was kind of a, a leading question because I'm trying to get it, you know, why it might seem too good to be true, but it, it actually isn't. And that there's circumstances that are, are changing in order to, you know, allow this diversity of investment. Because, I mean, real estate is always known to be like the, you know, the Donald Trumps are like the ultra, ultra, ultra wealthy people. And now it seems like 
it's uh being you know offered to i guess even the the bottom of the the one percent but that's right it's still different than it was before which is only like the the billionaires and centimillionaires but now you know everyone has access to real estate because you can do twenty five thousand dollars in a syndication which is you know it's not like you have to buy a 13 million dollar property no you literally you know become a a part a partial investor kind of like in the stock market you're just you own one share of a stock could be a thousand dollars or you can own yeah so it's um yeah i think it's uh definitely lowering the barriers of entry and happily for me um allowing me an opportunity to to uh to take advantage of wealth creation from the from the beginning and so very excited um i guess last question for the lightning round um i know there's some changes in the markets with interest rates and inflation um a lot of a lot of tension in the market right now but i just kind of want to know what you were personally doing to adapt to this situation yeah that, that's a great question and it's a hard one to answer but I, I can tell you that five years ago i thought we were in a huge bubble and we were at the top of the market and if i had taken all my cash and put it on the sidelines i would be in a world of hurt right now right because my money is losing power because of inflation so if i just sat on the sidelines i'm not going anywhere so I am continuing to allocate capital to deals. I'm just looking at deals a little bit differently. Because of the uncertainty, I'm looking for shorter term deals, where if I can get a deal that turns around in two or three years, rather than five or seven, um, that's one thing. The other thing is I want to invest with sponsors who have multiple business plans on each deal. So if they say, hey, you know, we're probably going to, we hope to turn this around in three years, but if the markets change and interest rates go up and we can't refi, we can cash flow this thing after that. Or what, you know, I want them to have multiple business plans. If I'm looking at the debt, you know, I, I want, I would prefer to have long-term um, fixed debt, but that's hard to find and expensive. Uh, so a lot of people are doing adjustable, but you know, you got to purchase a rate cap, even if those are getting more expensive, I'm looking for deals with rate caps. So for me, I'm still allocating capital because I don't want to just sit on cash but I am, I'm looking at things a little more critically as far as debt and the duration of the investment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I definitely think the having an investment that if the, you know, asset price deflates, that you can continue to, like the, the investor is willing to hold and let it cash flow and not sell it at too much of a loss just because that's their, I guess that's their incentive where I'd want it to be nimble enough that we can hold it until, the appreciation readjusts to where we expect it to be, but the whole time we still are, are we're still receiving income, and um, you know, you can't be too upset about the things you can't control. But um, we right. still have a. That's why I guess another reason why the sponsor is very important. Absolutely. And I guess um, just one more question, just in your personal uh, investing, like what kind of team have you created in order? You know, I, I don't think you're a CPA, a lawyer, and a yeah, I guess you are, uh, you might still be an investment advisor, but you know, who do you have helping you from in your, in your personal um, investing? That's a great question because it is, it is critically important, I think. And so what I've found is just ha- the way I find sponsors now is I use my community and people that I know. And that's the same thing I do with a tax advisor, an attorney, or a financial advisor, right? Because I'm not just going to go to the yellow pages and pick somebody because I have no clue how good they are. So I use my community and ask them who's got a good attorney, who's got a good CPA, who's got a good financial advisor. You know, all of those things are, those are, those are people that I find through, um, through my community. And that's really the whole purpose. I mean, I I keep talking about it, but I'm a big believer in the power of community to help you get to where you want to go. 
and especially in things that are hard to find, right? It's hard to find a good sponsor. It's hard to find a good attorney. It's hard to find a good financial advisor. So the best way to do it is through referrals from people you already know, like, and trust rather than, you know, listening to a podcast. I mean, I still do that. I still find people that way, but then I, I might, you know, ask them, um, I might ask my community, Hey, I heard of these guys. Does anybody know them? And that, that's how I find those professionals. And the last thing I'll say is it took me a long, long time to figure out that it is worth the money to pay professionals to take care of things that you can't do. This is your taxes. This is your operating agreements for the attorney. This is a financial advisor to pick your stocks. Trust me, you don't know what you're doing on these things unless you're a professional. So let a professional handle it. And the money you pay them is going to cost you less in the long run. That's been my experience. Awesome. Yeah, that's a very good point. So you ready for the lightning round? Sure. Awesome. So if you could pick any superpower, what would you choose? Oh, wow. I wasn't ready for that. Um, <laughs> I guess I'd, I'd probably like to fly. That'd be fun. Awesome. Yeah, I know. That's supposed to be the easy question, but uh, <laughs> it's been the hardest. So I guess we've hit on this um, somewhat, but if you have another favorite book or what's your, your favorite book or what's the one that's helped you the most in your investing? Yeah, I, I would say um, the hands-off investor, but if I had to pick another one, there's one um, by Dennis Shapiro. And it's called, um, I'm going to have to look here, The Alternative Investment Almanac. Um, that's a great one. It, it just talks about a lot of different asset classes and talks about alternative investing. The other one that I like is the uh, 21 cash flow niches from um, the uh, cash. I think you froze for a second. Yeah, we cut out for a second. You said the 21 cash flow niches by um, our guy, MC? Yeah. Yeah. From, uh, yeah, you had an episode with him on Cashflow Ninja. That's uh, one of my favorite podcasts. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's great. And that, that's a great book because it just gives you so many different ideas for asset classes. Because I, I like to diversify by sponsor, by market, and by asset type. So that, that's, a great, that's a great book. Awesome. So what motivates you to continue every day? Um, well, part of it is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build wealth for my family so we can have time freedom and, um, and where we are freedom, right? So I can live anywhere and do whatever I want and the cash is still coming in. So that's one. The other part is I'm trying to build out left field investors, the community to make it a resource so more people can, can get into this. Uh, you know, financial education has always been important to me. And I don't think, uh, you know, you don't get taught that in elementary school, middle school, high school, or even college, right? College, you, you train a doctor to be a great doctor, but no one's ever telling the doctor how to, how to manage their money. So um, that's important to me as well. Yeah, I agree. And um, I have a lot of friends going to med school. I made a little episode for them with, uh, with Harry, um, Harry Zergata because I wanted to bring in a, a actual a doctor to say like, this is what you got to be thinking about. So yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's great. Um, so what advice would you give to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? Um, you know, you, you got to just find, you got to find your way. Like I said, this is career number four for me. And, and, you know, there's been times when I was doing things that I really liked and times when I was doing things I didn't. And I think sometimes it seems like, you know, we all want to do stuff that's fun and awesome. And, uh, it's hard to find a job that is always fun and awesome. Right. So the best way to do that or to, 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 I think be satisfied with where you are is to have alternate 
income streams, multiple income streams, because that gives you options. And what you want in life is options, right? You're jumping through all these hoops to graduate high school with the right grades so you can get into the good college you want to get into. Then you do as well as you can in college to get this great job. And then what, right? Then you have a job. So what I encourage people, especially young people, is to start working on those income streams. And maybe your first job isn't your favorite, but you know, have fun with your money, but save some too and start developing more income streams because then as you get older, your job becomes optional, right? And that's what you want. If you really love your job, work as much as you want. But if you hate your job, find an alternative and the alternative does not have to be another job. If you have multiple income streams, you have financial freedom. And if you have financial freedom, you have time freedom. And that's what I've been working for. And that's what I recommend, especially the young people, just open your mind a little bit. It doesn't have to be a high school, college, job, death, right? There's other things. There's other things in between. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so lastly, since I put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge. So feel free to ask me any question you want to know about me. I would like to know how a now senior in college decided to um, really step out of their comfort zone, start a podcast and start interviewing um you know, older, more established people. I think it takes a lot of guts and I'm, I'm impressed. Well, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, I really, I'm just so hungry to learn constantly. And um, when I realized that starting a podcast, I'd be able to, you know, people would have a, a reason to talk to me. Not only would I just be, um, you know, asking some of these people I look up to and these amazing experts questions, I give them an opportunity to use their voice to reach more people and help more people. And really, um, I think there's a, a good alignment of interest there, but um, I'm able to learn and I'm also able to, while not being an, an expert yet, I, I do have a good bit of knowledge after um, last like three years, but not being an expert yet, I'm able to use expert ex or the expertise of experts and, um, uh, and share that with my, my friends and family and, and audience. And um, so it's just, uh, it's been an amazing journey. And um, I think the best part is just being consistent and seeing how much I've grown. Like my first episode, I'm a little embarrassed of because I'm stuttering, saying ums and uhs and everywhere. And after however many episodes, um, I've, I've kind of found my voice and it's been much, uh, I've, you know, learned to be much clearer and, and articulate and I'm only improving. So uh, it's the, 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 the benefits are, are, there's a ton of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And it, it's great. I think. And that's like with anything. I, I don't want to listen to the first podcast I ever did either. I mean, it's a disaster. Um, and it just, it just gets better as you go. And if you want to get rid of those umps, you edit them out. <laughs> that's yeah, what I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I could do that. <laughs> I kind of like the, the, the rawness of it because, um, you know, people are, you know, how is this, I don't want people to think that I'm just some, you know, amazing person who just has more ability than anyone else. I just chose to take action. Right. And the show, like it's imperfect action, but um, anyone could do it. And I think that's part of um, what I'm trying to inspire people to, to realize it's that, um, you know, be audacious and go for what you, you want and don't let anyone stop you. Cause ultimately, you know, are, do you really care what people think about your, your ums and uhs or is it really about the, the purpose behind what you're trying to do? That's great. Well said, man. Well said. I appreciate it. Well, um, I'd love for you to share how people can learn more about you. And if you have any final remarks. Yeah. If people want to uh, check out left field investors, they can go to uh, www.leftfieldinvestors.com. There's a uh, masterclass free masterclass on the, on the top right of the website. And uh, 
it kind of just takes you from what is a passive passive investing, what is a syndication all the way through how do you analyze a deal, how do you vet a sponsor. You can subscribe there as well and you'll get our newsletters and, and all the information. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can do that at jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. And if you'd like to talk to one of the founders of our group and, and learn more about us, there's a uh, on the website, there's a schedule a call button. You click on that and you'll, uh, you can schedule a time to chat with us. Awesome. Well, I recommend everyone do, does that and the information will be in the show notes below. So um, feel free to check that out. Well, Jim, thank you very much for coming on the show and everybody keep making milestones. Awesome.